mini episode 1544 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge Mini, episode 1544. This is FDH Managing Partner Rick Morris here with you, and we have... Our 2022 NFL midseason panel for you, and this is a panel that we haven't done before with these two gentlemen, and uh, I've, I've recorded with these guys separately over a period of time. Uh, one of the guys uh, extremely extensively, uh, going way back over a period of time, our FDH senior editor and my co-creator of the FDH Lounge, Jason Jones, going all the way back to the network days. And uh, we've done any number of football breakdowns over a period of time. And we are uh, bringing him in for this here. The guy that has been sort of the lead guy doing the football segments here, we, we are very pleased to have a very deep bench over a period of time and one that we've kept adding to. But uh, there's always somebody who's on a little bit more than the other guys. And uh, Chris Galloway, a couple of years back, took the torch from Kyle Ross. I recorded with Galloway our third-of-the-way season analysis a couple weeks back, knowing that this week he was going to be out of the mix because I don't like to put him on blast too much as far as his day job. But suffice it to say, like a lot of other people in America, the option on his job was going to either get picked up or not picked up by his quote-unquote bosses on Tuesday. And it got picked up, uh, overwhelmingly so. And dude is on a beach right now. So... I knew he wasn't going to be available this week. I knew I wanted to do this panel here at some point, so this was the week I picked for this panel. I know Jason has been on a lot with Chris, uh, NFL draft stuff every year in particular, doing some stuff here. It was a great uh, Tuesday night for Chris, not only for his own personal reasons, but as I clued Jason into, that uh, the heroes of the Harvard on the Hawking getting it done with some action on Tuesday night. Uh, sticking it to those uh, dirty, the preppy bastards of Miami of Ohio on Tuesday night. So that was a great thing for Chris and I, being Bobcat brothers, watching that go down. But uh, send a shout out to Galloway out there on the beach. And uh, Jason, I know that uh, you definitely have some thoughts to talk about uh, here with this NFL season and the way it's unfolding. Absolutely. But before we get to that, I have to do the uh, quintessential... I will tolerate this Ohio Bobcat nonsense <laughs> because it's you. I did watch the game, though. Went, uh, funny funny side note that most people are not going to be aware of. I had put up a post on social media uh, referring to watching the election coverage like a sporting event, and one Rick Morris was quick to let me know that there is a sporting event that uh, demands my attention. So I did watch uh, most of the second half of that game. It was a glorious Just game. for you and team. Yes, it was a glorious game. And uh, I have to say, and I don't remember what show it was on. You and I were on numerous shows back in the Sports Talk Network days. But one of my five favorite memories back then is it was me and you and a couple other people on the show, and you were putting the question to us of who is our favorite player on the Browns. 
And I said at the time, Dave Zastadil, the punter, and you erupted. You were like, you can't just say him because he went to your school. <laughs> so, that was... The irony of that story is that we booked uh, Zastadil for an interview shortly thereafter. That's amazing. Yeah, that uh, you were so <laughs> triggered by that. It was outstanding. And uh, that was a great uh, moment in time here. But I will say, uh, and, and one of the things that uh, you would first uh, noted back in the uh, network days, correctly giving me credit uh, for my ability to do segues here. I'm going to work another segue, and that is that uh, something I had only just, for as long as you and I have been friends and colleagues, had only just learned about you in the last, really, several months, basically, was your neurodivergence, which you were telling me about. And uh, the other gentleman who was in here, uh, how I met him, that was how I originally learned about the concept of neurodivergence. Uh, some months before. So I guess basically sometime last year. So the other gentleman that we have on here, FDH Lounge Dignitary, this is his fourth time coming on to talk football. It's been uh, once with uh, me and then uh, two times with me and Joe Stazak. By the way, shout out to Joe Stazak for the World Series coverage here. He was a much better sport about the Phillies losing the World Series than I ever am about any of my teams. Low bar though that may be. But Stazak took it like a man. He wasn't pouting and uh, listening to sad songs like I did after the Cavs lost the championship in 2017. So shout out to Stazak on that one. But uh, did some great panels uh, with this guy previously. And as I said, got to know him through the course of him being a very, very instrumental person in uh, an unbelievable operation uh, going on there. You want to check out Maya Master on Twitter. Chaotic Goodest is what you want to search for on there. That is the handle, and uh, go ahead and check out the uh, the link tree there. All the different links, all the different things going on. We always like to give our guests uh, a plug. Also, our, our FDH Lounge dignitaries in-house, we like to give people a plug, too, and I know that this is what Derek would want me to do as far as uh, giving a plug there, giving a shout-out for people to go check out the content, and uh, you will come to know uh, why I have branded her the Trillion Dollar Baby, only half facetiously, uh, as far as her uh, abilities and uh, her insights that she has that uh, I believe will make her a very, very uh, wealthy and successful person in the uh, years ahead. So, uh, again, I, uh, I I give that uh, plug uh, in the name here of uh, uh, teamwork here on the show. And uh, I will say also, too, uh, congratulations, uh, Derek. Uh, as anyone who had followed Maya recently had seen on Twitter, uh, they're played out as everything plays out in her life. It is basically the Truman Show, the story of their engagement and how that came to be. So I, I offer you congratulations on that, uh, Derek, and I welcome you to the program. Thank you. Always glad to be here. Uh, and, you know, I, as much as I love, uh, you know, my better half getting plugged, she's obviously 99% of the brains and talent in this, uh, in this relationship. I, you know, I would plug my own Twitter, dude underscore Cav. Uh, for you know, college football and NFL betting picks. Except uh, it hasn't been the greatest year for me. But I, for, you know, from everything I've seen, uh, a lot of other uh, handicappers are not in the uh, having the best year either. So I don't feel too bad for myself. But it's, um, those picks are there every week if anyone ever wants them. It's a tough year. It's been a tough year. I've been putting up the uh, the lounge picks every week. I feel you on that one. And uh, I, I feel like I need to mention to uh, Jason, this is not the kind of calf that he and I would be thinking of. This is not the wine and gold, but rather the cavalry here uh, as a, a decorated uh, military person here. So 
a different kind of cav. But uh, funny, by the way, that uh, I'd sent you the thing here, StatMuse, uh, putting over both the Cavs and the Suns. Uh, as far as I think uh, earlier in the week, uh, the only two teams in the league in top 10 offense and defense. So uh, perhaps uh, our respective uh, home cities will be hosting some very major games come June. We shall see. But uh, as we look at this NFL season, by the way, it has not been uh, for our respective uh, home cities a, uh, a, a very banner time. Uh, in my case, and as I'd covered on the show previously, uh, once the Browns signed good old number 26 or however many cases he's up to at this point, uh, I checked out and basically went to what had been my secondary team, the Dolphins. Good year to get uh, reinvested in the Dolphins, I must say. But uh, the way that it's played out, it's been a very, very surprising year in a lot of ways, very uh, challenging for handicappers and everyone else. And I will say... Derek, that one of the themes that Chris Galloway and I were hitting three weeks ago was that the entire concept of a second tier in the league, once you get past Philadelphia, Buffalo, Kansas City, doing my weekly power rankings, I would always be hearing from my friends, how can you have this team in the top 10? And I would always be like, well, you got to put somebody there. Like, to me, the second tier in the league has been like the Alaskan Crabs. It's just been extinction this year, as far as no real second tier I do feel that in the span from the third of the way to the halfway point that that's changed a little bit, and the rest of the top 10 teams are a little more legitimate, but how are you seeing it ha happen? Have you, have you seen that kind of evolution through the course of the year? Yeah, it's certainly been interesting, and, and I wouldn't necessarily disagree. Um, I do think that, uh, you know, going off of uh, and maybe being, you know, contrary to the uh, your midseason power rankings here, um, I actually do. I I believe in Philadelphia um, as that as that hardcore number one this year. As much as I hate, you know, those Philly scumbags like everyone else, <laughs> the Eagles are are doing something special this year. Um, you know, so you can look and say their strength of schedule is the worst, which is fair. Um, but they're one of the few teams that's able to take their strengths of every position they have and utilize them in both their on the offense and the defense. And then you look at you know a lot of teams. You, you know, I I think. Going off of that, I think you're going to see a resurgence of Chicago in the second half. Um, you know, they finally figured, hey, Justin Fields is actually pretty good when we let him run. Maybe we should do that. And you're seeing, you know, that more option play that let him do an incredible game uh, last weekend. But um, but overall, yeah, no, I, I think it isn't. There, there's not as many uh, – there's more have-nots than haves this year, certainly. There really are, and uh, Chris had said when we were doing our breakdown a third of the way through the season that he felt like the Browns were so, sort of the poster child for the season as far as just so many teams out there really being frauds, and I really couldn't disagree with him at all. By the way, and a note on this, in the FDH power rankings, which I personally oversee, Philadelphia is actually number one in this. Now, to differentiate, uh, our FDH NFL midseason breakdown, available right there on the main page at fantasydrafthelp.com, We've got a comprehensive uh, statistical index here that the three of us have in front of us here, and that is, and I probably should have noted it on there, many of the other uh, rankings coming uh, courtesy of uh, football reference uh, as far as a lot of the other things in there. The one thing with Philadelphia kind of surprised me. They were only 29th in strength of schedule thus far. It doesn't seem like they've played a weak schedule, but yes, Philadelphia is super elite in every other ranking here at this point, and there are some teams in there that uh, the, the index was a little kinder to than I expected and a little bit uh, more rough to than I expected. 
Uh, Baltimore being third surprised me. The Browns being 13th surprised me when I had them 21st in my power rankings. Tennessee, who I have 7th in my power rankings, being 19th in this overall index. They don't score high in Cincinnati. Hurley. Cincinnati. Yeah, Cincinnati. How about that? Yeah, Cincinnati was 5th. Yeah, yeah, there's that. And uh, the, the one thing about Tennessee that's hilarious, if you look at it, is they're, they're first in third down defense. And like they're they're in the twenties in a number of other categories or teens or or whatever, but but you know half teens, half twenties. It's like can third down defense alone help you get where you're at? So I think uh, I think they're probably better than what's being shown here, and that's me being uh, very very fair and very gracious because I'm not a Mike Vrabel guy. I don't much care for him, but I think it's probably a little bit unfair to Tennessee at this point. And Baltimore perennially shows up higher on this index than they end up being. I think they were first overall in like 2019, and they didn't do anything in the playoffs. So, Jason, I know in looking at it, I know you had some thoughts here on, on some of the teams and, and how they shook out, and I know there were some things that surprised that didn't surprise you. Yeah, uh, first and foremost, I'll quickly address the, the Eagles. Mm-hmm. The one thing, and I don't want to go so far as to say it's the one thing we're not going to do, but it's something that I've been saying. Please, for the love of whatever you hold dear, do not compare the 2022 Eagles to the 2021 Steelers, if I'm remembering that right. Okay, yeah. There was a sense, Steelers jumped out to an 11-0 record, and when we got to week 12, we all still kind of looked around and go, I get it, but they're not that good. Well, two years ago right? with Pittsburgh. The, yeah, two years ago, but yeah, I, I get right. your point. And and they proved to be, I don't want to call them frauds because I do hate them, but um, <laughs> but yeah, it proved to be that they weren't that. I have a strong sense that despite the strength schedule, the Eagles are not in that same boat. No. They're, they're doing things that people just don't seem to have an answer for. So I love where, where Philly is. Um, because of my take on Buffalo, I didn't put them higher on this list than they are because right now they're sitting at two. Um, and I've, I've been feeling this way for a couple of years on Buffalo. I love Josh Allen. I love what they do on offense. And if they can jump out to a two or three touchdown lead in the first quarter, I think it's smooth sailing. However, why am I the only person in any, any room that seems to be very concerned with the fact that come playoff time, they will not be able to run the ball at all. True. So that's my big yeah. take on Buffalo. I think they're phenomenal. And I think that if they – play their game maybe they're poised for a run but there's a part of me that's like let's let's blow our role a little bit on buffalo because in the playoffs you have to stop the run and be able to run and they might be able to do one of those but they won't be able to do two um so that's that's my big one on buffalo i'm sure it'll come back to bite me later i'm just gonna get on my soapbox real quick i don't understand what the deal is with baltimore and maybe it's a bias, and if it is, I'm perfectly willing to accept that. Okay. But when I watch them, they get a lot of BS, which turns into BS wins. <laughs> they are—they're not one-dimensional, but they're definitely not complete. Uh, their defense can be scary at times, and I personally think it should be illegal that Justin Tucker's employed. Yeah. <laughs> get to the fifty-yard the, the 50 line and feel good about the situation. Right. Uh, so that's that's probably just my bias showing its, its ugly face, but even even with how great Lamar is and how great Andrews is when he's healthy, I just I can't see them that high just because I don't realistically believe they're actually that good. Um, and then the last thing I'll say, just to kind of get this out of the way, and then feel free to take this wherever you want to go. 
Um, as a fan of a team that has traditionally been bad most, if not all, of my entire life, I am absolutely giddy with joy watching Steeler fans and Patriots fans lose their ever-loving minds. Yeah. Um, told you this was coming. Nobody wins forever. And I love that every that everything's falling apart at the seams for those people. Um, that being said, it's been a very strange year. I would agree that Cleveland's a little high um, <laughs> because I was hoping to be somewhere close to the halfway line, which would have been 16, which I still think is a little lofty for a team that only has, what, three wins? Right. This doesn't that factor in wide-scale defensive choking especially. I mean, that's the whole thing here. If there was a category for choking, underplaying the talent that you have, oh, misusing yeah. resources, uh, then the, the, the Browns would have a 32 to tack on there as far as their proficiency, Jason. Oh, absolutely. And I, I'm not delusional and rah-rah about this. Uh, there's a couple decent wins. Two of the three wins are, are okay. Uh, but of the, what is it, five losses? Four of them are basically inexcusable. So, how that matter, how that manifests through statistical metrics, I don't know. But something feels wrong here with that. Yeah. Uh, as optimistic as I'd like to be. Sure. No, I under, I understand that. And you know, in, in terms of some of these teams mentioned uh, by Jason, uh, Derek, uh, you know, th there are some things. The one thing that I might perhaps mention is that uh, you know, for New England, it was looking pretty glum maybe in the first month. Things have kind of turned around since then, although they're clearly not back where they were a couple of years ago. Uh, but there have been a lot of things that have that have happened here uh, through, through the course of this. And, uh, you know, if, if we were going to hold up a couple weeks ago, the Browns as being sort of a poster child for the league and uh, for, for some of the teams. Because, again, there's a lot of teams this year that just haven't lived up to what they were supposed to live up to. Uh, again, I will point this out. If you look at uh, 29th, in the metrics here, 25th in our power rankings still. I was kinder to them in the power rankings, but the Cardinals at midseason, you could do a lot worse than using them as an example, a microcosm of the league in 2022, it seems like. Yeah, I mean, the Cardinals, I, I think they're just almost, uh, I think they're unique in the sense that, you, you know, when you look at the roster, they have the stars, you, they have the numbers there. Granted, I mean, you can take, obviously, that DeAndre Hopkins was out for six games, but... Um, you know, I think mine and most of the fan base's biggest issue with that team is, is the coaching. I think we, I think the Cliff experiment was fun, um, and I think that's ultimately going to be the downfall of this team. So I'm, you know, I'm all in on on Tank at this point with with that team. But um, I think one of the more interesting things overall, getting off the Cardinals real quick, mm -hmm. I don't like to dwell on them when they're doing <laughs> bad. Um, Can't blame you. Is is that is what we kind of talked about already? Um, Jason alluded to earlier is that. The run, how important the run game kind of is this season. And yeah. you're seeing the evolution of, I guess, maybe even, I almost want to say the de-evolution of the offensive line in the sense that we've seen these, this, this crazy offense the last few years because we've had these mobile quarterbacks. You've had the Mahomes, you've had the Murrays, the Lamars, and then teams figured out, you know what, edge rushers, and we, you know, we contain and we have a spot, and then that's shut down this year. I don't know why it took defenses a few years to figure it out after Lamar's breakout season over the three or four years ago. But we're seeing those the run games really matter. And I think you're seeing that uh, most effectively with Minnesota. Kirk Cousins somehow having the, the year of his life, who a lot of people have said that, you know, was a, a waste of money that they dumped on him. But 
you know, they're able to effectively manage. They have that star running game. And then obviously they have Justin Jefferson that helps. But um, And then I think you're seeing that with a few more teams. So I think it's almost the resurgence of what, you know, most of us grew up with, that the strong pocket passer with a good running back. Um, and then, you know, able to do those play actions. So it's, it's been an interesting uh, almost full circle, you know, what is old, it must be new again. And what, what is new is old again in that sense. So that's one of my biggest takeaways overall. Well, you know what? I got a follow-up question for you, Derek, because going back a couple weeks ago, uh, talking with Galloway at the third of the way point, he was talking about something that has continued on at this point here, which is scoring being down this year. So are you connecting the dots on the two different things here in terms of, uh, what's been happening with the passing games and adaptations that the, the defenses have made to the passing games, thereby putting more emphasis on the running game? Because I would tend to think that that would lead yes. to lower scoring. Am, am I am I seeing that correctly? You think? A- absolutely. You're seeing it with an un- with the with unders in games from the gambling side hitting an unprecedented cl- uh, clip this year compared to years past, um, and that's exactly it. You're not seeing you're seeing a lot of these defensive schemes playing again or uh, planning against these mobile quarterbacks limiting the scrambling and keeping a spy out there. You're seeing linebackers, you know, staying in the box and actually either watching the quarterback or covering, you know, covering down that check down. You're seeing the defenses evolve to this new, you know, this new generation of quarterbacks. And I don't think the offense has caught up yet. The offensive schemes have caught up yet to, you know, it's, it's a typical, you know, it's a, it's a chess game of, you know, the offense was, Blowing up the last few years, defense was uh oh, and then you know now it's that give and take. So uh, I'd absolutely agree. I think that's why you're seeing uh, you know that lower offensive output this year than you have maybe in years past. You know, Jason, I want to flip it to you here and ask you about this, and uh, I'm really enjoying this particular sort of subtopic here. This is the kind of thing we've done so much of over the years with the the hardcore X's and O's that it almost feels like uh, we're in a discussion. Shout out here to our good friend, the scout Ken Bex firstdownscouting.com. Again, we've had a number of discussions over the years getting into the how and why these things happen. What are your thoughts, Jason, on how the game is evolving this year? And again, probably in response to what the defenses are dictating. Yeah, it definitely um, feels like there's a a swing. And I, I don't want to make it sound like this is always the case, but it definitely feels like a pendulum effect. If you recall over the last I want to say started somewhere around 10 years ago. Uh, there was a narrative that the running back was being phased out. Yes. And that you just you just don't pay for one. You don't extend one. You can just grab one. They're not that important anymore. And then, yeah, we saw, you know, offenses kind of go away from that. You saw the, the era where Belichick would use running backs as slot receivers instead of running. And then eventually, it just feels like everything swings back, eventually. Uh, and right now, you look around the league, um, and the ones that feel good about their running game are the ones that have your traditional, between-the-tackles, workhorse back that can carry it 30 times in a game if you need it to. Mm-hmm. You know, Henry, Chubb, I'm forgetting a bunch, but there's probably about five or six guys uh, that are basically changing the way teams game plan. And I would not be surprised if this is just the beginning of, of a resurgence of sorts. Um, but yeah, it absolutely looks like we're having a return to some conventional running style in certain teams. Um, and 
without looking at any numbers, I absolutely believe that there's 100% correct uh, that there has to be a corollary between teams trying to close other teams out by pounding it and killing the clock and therefore not scoring as much. There absolutely has to be a connection there. Um, but to me, uh, and I've never been a huge, like, I've always, even as a kid growing up with football, always wanted to see more high-flying, big-scoring, big plays. But now in my 40s, I'm, I'm kind of loving this, to be honest with you. It is interesting. It really is uh, to see it play out, and it is something that's unexpected. And it is something where, uh, I'll put the question to you guys again here, because this is one where perhaps it gets a little more tenuous on making a connection, perhaps not. But, Derek, one of the things that Chris and I were examining a couple of weeks back, we were agreeing that at the third way part of the season that it really seemed like it was the case, that when you're looking at the, the muddying of the league here and the fact that, again, you, you have probably three teams that have really separated themselves from everybody else, and then, like I said, a second tier that, that basically was, I, I thought, pretty much extinct. It almost feels like you skip right to the third tier, and that might be changing a little bit. There might be getting a little bit more legitimacy on the second tier here, but the whole thing with that making the games closer, that with, with, with the scoring being down, with the, the, the high-flying offense not being there as much, that leads to, as Chris had pointed out, very correctly so. It was an excellent point that he made. You've got more games coming down right to the end because of that. That's probably, again, as you pointed out, lower scoring games with games hitting the under here. But uh, do, you, do you feel like it's it's somewhat closing the gap in the league talent-wise? Because I know coming in, we all thought there was going to be this whole tier of super teams in the AFC and maybe one or two teams in the NFC that could hang. And you really, really haven't had that. You, you've had you know, the, t the, the, the top teams, the, the tier of the top teams and the way they've separated themselves feels like it's different than in past years and the mushy middle and the gray sort of bottom in the league here. And I can't help but think that it's all connected uh, to that here and that the mediocrity and everything like that comes from uh, the lack of the high-flying offense, more games coming down to the end and more teams having a chance at the end. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't disagree. And it kind of goes back to the point I was getting with the Cardinals is that, you know, uh, like coaching, is coaching really matters, shocker to everybody. I mean, you're seeing it in, in Denver with some of the, the bonehead mistakes that uh, Nathaniel Hackett made in those first couple games. Um, and then you obviously compare it to, you know, an Andy Reid, you know, uh, I'm forgetting, uh, what's the Buffalo guy? Oh, name? McDermott. Yeah, yeah, McDermott. Yes, McDermott. I knew it was, I knew it was uh, an honor name there. <laughs> um, but but you're seeing it, you know, with some of these some of these better coaches, and then you're seeing the reverse effect again in the, you know, with like Nathaniel Hackett, you see Matt Rule get fired. Um, you know, I I think I'm not gonna say coaching now suddenly matters. I know that sounds like an outlandish take, but if when it it's a, it's more of an opportunity for bad coaching to get exposed, if that makes sense. When you have closer games. It comes down to often it comes down to the players, but it comes down to the coach making those those right calls. So um, I think you, I think that's playing a part in it, in it as well. And then obviously again going back to um, the pendulum swing, I think the teams that built their schemes for the run, as in great offensive lines, and not relying on oh I can just you know I have my quarterback can scramble out of it, or I have a good you know I have a good running back I can check down, or I have some star receivers looking at. You Las Vegas Raiders. You don't really uh, the teams that are that are succeeding this year have those good offensive lines that are allowing for that that high powered run game. So as much as you know, I, I don't necessarily disagree or agree. I guess with the with the parity piece, 
I think it's almost the teams that sort of built into this, that maybe either intentionally or unintentionally built their schemes and built their packages into what the environment of the league this year is, again, going back to the run, are having that success. And then obviously the the weird emergence of the New York, New Jersey teams, whatever you want to call them, uh, is also another great example of it with the Giants and the Jets having a bizarrely incredible year. Yeah, it really is. And uh, shout out to uh, FDH Lounge dignitary and sportsology proprietor uh, Russ Cohen, who uh, actually I'm looking forward to this, who I will get to see over the weekend. Uh, he's going up to a hockey tournament. He's going up to cover it in Detroit and will be stopping back in town coming through here. But yeah, Russ is shaking the pom-poms for the Jets full time here. And, uh, and why wouldn't he? Because it's been uh, quite an unexpected surprise there. And uh, it, it does seem like in the case of the Jets, maybe not so much uh, because they, they have gotten better uh, quarterbacking play this year. But in the case of the Giants, this is one of these things here where, just to follow up on that with you, Derek, if Brian Dable doesn't get coach of the year, then they ought to retire the award because when you're doing it with the execrable heap that still is uh, Danny Dimes, okay, you're really doing something well. To be able to overcome your quarterback to that degree, maybe we should just put him in Canton right now. I mean, you're forgetting about Pete Carroll, what he did with Geno Smith. I mean, I think I think those two are honestly, they, though, if neither of them wins the award, I absolutely agree with you. I think what, obviously what, what Brian Dable is doing uh, is incredible with that team. But I think Pete Carroll taking Geno Smith from the ashes and making him look like, you know, one of the, uh, no, I'm not going to say MVP, but having an incredible year. I mean, that's, that's a big something. And it kind of, much like, you know, with uh, with the Belichick Brady breakup, you saw the Patriots failure. I guess Brady was the was the you know a large part of the success there. You see the opposite in Seattle that Russ was the problem, not Pete Carroll. So it's interesting seeing kind of that reverse dichotomy there play out. Well, and I will say also too, uh, somebody very uh, near and dear to my heart, uh, Mike McDaniel. But I would still put him a little bit back of them uh, just because of what he has to work with here. And I mentioned that uh, to, to say to you, uh, Derek, uh, I, I like to recall and put over excellent takes from people in the past. And uh, more so even than me, you were seeing it with this class of Alabama quarterbacks in the league. Jalen Hurts is doing it in Philly. I, was, I, I think I've always kind of been a believer in Tua in Miami to whatever degree. But I'm very surprised by what Hurts is doing because consistency was always his bugaboo. That's how he slid to the second round. So kudos to you for having called it with a couple of these Alabama guys. Yeah, we'll see how it goes with uh, with Matt Jones there. Yeah. Um, but, no, I mean, you know, I, I don't know. If, uh, I, I'd still throw Bryce Young into that mix, and, and I'll continue that take going further until yeah. I see a bad Alabama quarterback come out. Um, I don't think we're going to see any more A.J. McCarrens from that program. I think you're going to see perennial starters going forward. And I, I'd throw – Bryce Young in that mix. And, you know, going to uh, hitting the Patriots and, and Matt Jones real quick, um, obviously going to uh, the the ultimate, you know, finally failures we're seeing out of Pittsburgh and New England that is sweet for all of us uh, non-fans of those two teams. I do think that New England has more of a life at the end of the tunnel than Pittsburgh does with this quarterback controversy now with, with Matt Jones and, and Zappi. I think that's going to be one of the more – Positives, positives they draw from this uh, this season. I think they're going to have a good idea of, you know, which I one of them will be their perennial starter going forward. Uh, I think they have the rest of the season to kind of figure out. But it's 
kind of give them some some sort of hope there that you know some other teams, myself included, kind of wish we had. Maybe not in the quarterback position, but just that hope uh, in general. Yeah, I mean, they might as well explore that. They might as well see what they can get out of it. The thing about McCarron, it's interesting that you mention that because stuck in my mind from a couple of years back, right, maybe it would be more than a couple, I remember with the, with the aforementioned Chris Galloway, a road trip uh, to our alma mater, we're sitting there in a the car like, how come Saban never has top-flight quarterbacks? Is it because he doesn't want to recruit them? Like, there was a time when it was, like, weird and striking that they were a top-flight program that didn't have five-star quarterbacks. And who knows why that ever was, but yeah, then all of a sudden they flipped the switch and it's been nothing but the five stars ever since. And uh, as I uh, pivot here to you, uh, Jason, uh, Derek and I have gone through a pretty decent amount here as far as uh, some of the coaches that have really impressed us the most this year. Who are the ones that you want to put over? Who are the ones that are really doing the things that impress you? Uh, we covered the big ones already. I, I be honest with you, I don't have a lot good to say about the rest, <laughs> except except that I've got some questions. Okay. Right. Yeah. Um, so, like, what's going on with Sean McVay? <laughs> I've got my own concerns with uh, recent coach of the coach of the year award winner Stavansky. Um, I love that you brought up McDaniel's. Yeah. Because if I can just step back from objectivity for a second. Great point about Geno Smith in Seattle mm-hmm. and great point about uh, what's going on with the Giants. I, there's a part of me that just wants to give McDaniels extra credit for his press conferences because that dude is clever <laughs> personified. And I, as you know, Rick, I'm like, I will watch the Dolphins um, and they're fun to watch now. Um, but I do not pass myself off as a fan. Um, I just don't. Um, and I lived in Florida, but I tune in every Sunday to watch that man's press conferences. Uh, he's absolutely phenomenal. And I think what he's doing, not to take away from the geniuses of the, uh, the Sean McVay types or the, um, Sean Payton types, but there's some, Mike McDaniel's got something going on down there. He is. I think he is somehow, may not be anything major, but has cracked some minor code in knowing exactly how to utilize what he has against the opponent, and that's got to be a factor that 90% of fans wish they had. Uh, so as far as coaching goes in general, I think you've got some real great standouts that are proven their worth. you got some guys that we used to hold on a certain pedestal that just aren't doing it anymore. Um, but what's really interesting when we talk about coaching, and this goes back to my previous issue with uh, Steeler fans and Patriot fans. And Rick, I know that you don't like to entertain the crazies, and I <laughs> absolutely invite that smoke all the time. No what's patience, really buddy. I have no patience. Especially, <laughs> especially if you're a fan of a team that has not been consistently successful over time. Yeah, I don't want to hear people's dumb takes. You're willing to be bothered with them. <laughs> yeah. The, the fact that there are Steeler fans calling for, oh, what's his name? Tomlin. Tomlin to be fired, and that New England fans are turning on Belichick just because they're not automatically favored to win everything is ludicrous. Ludicrous. Now, I'm not saying that I would in, I would invite those coaches over. I probably would. Um, but sometimes you got to reel in the crazy. There are good coaches that are just taking it on the chin right now, and there are coaches who probably – just 
peaked or did the best they could in the moment they had that are now kind of coming back to reality a little bit. But to Derek's overarching point here, coaching matters. Yes. It does. It just does. Because nobody, nobody saw the Miami Dolphins jumping out to the, the racing start that they had. And quite frankly, I'm not sure that they're done. I, I think is going to be fine. I think that team plays better when is playing. And as long as they keep going, I think maybe if we look at it this way, Rick might have made the right choice this year. Yeah, I mean, uh, lucky me on, on the timing of it here that the Browns happen to alienate me in the, in the right year. But uh, I will say this. Uh, shout out to my, my best friend, uh, Jeff Maslanich here, who is an aggrieved Steeler fan, who feels he's ahead of the curve, by the way, for having been anti-Tomlin for years and felt that they underachieved for years and uh, didn't have anything to show for it all throughout the 2010s. He feels like uh, he's saying, I told you so, Jason. So from his perspective, uh, he feels he was ahead of the curve on this one. I, I don't know. I don't That's have ridiculous. a dog in the fight. You know, but. That's ridiculous. <laughs> if anything, he overachieved the last couple years because Ben was dragging that team down. But. That's a conversation for another day. Well, uh, undeniably uh, true. And, uh, well, really, ultimately, uh, Derek, ever ever since a, a, a Super Bowl that I know you probably would rather forget, and believe me, I would too, because I hate the Steelers, so I was on your side for that one at the time here. But the, <laughs> he hasn't done anything really since then. So uh, but between uh, between Jason's take here and my best friend's take, I, I guess I, I toggle a little more towards uh, my best friend on that one here. Do you feel like Tom went throughout the – uh, majority of his tenure has overachieved or underachieved. No, I, I, I'd agree that with uh, with Jason about just that. I think he's overachieved, and again, I think Roethlisberger absolutely dragged that team down. I think if they had, you know, made him, if they had moved on from him earlier, especially that year they went, uh, what was it? it was like, what would we say? It was two years ago. They, they had that eleven zero season with that incredible defense. Yep. I mean, they had they've had the stars there at uh, receiver. They have a, they've had the stars there at running back. Who was the piece that was, you know, dragging him down was Ben. He wasn't able to chuck the ball like he used to. He wasn't able to, you know, have those gritty runs like he used to when he was when he was younger. So what were they doing? So I, I, I think people calling for Tom Tomlin's job are nuts, as much as I hate the man and hate that team for what they did in two thousand nine. Um, you know, I, I think that team is I think Tomlin is a phenomenal coach, is you know, as as I'd be happy to have. You know what? They can. You know what? I'll go back. They can vote him off the island, and then we'll take him in Arizona. How about that? Um, but I, I do want to move to, you know, address the Miami point with yeah. Daniels. Mm-hmm. As, as much as I agree that they are doing amazing things there, I don't want to give him the crown because of. I'll give you two let two words. Tyree Kill. Okay. That man is a cheat code. I think the loss of him. You're seeing the the you know Kansas City. They're still Kansas City, but are they the Kansas City we've seen? No. What what is the what is the delta there? It's Tyree Kill, a man you can just chuck the ball to, and he's gonna, you know on a on a go route, and he's gonna he's gonna outrun whoever has it. I think you could put Tyreek Hill on Houston, and I think Houston would have four more wins than they have right now. The man is an absolute, and then you add in Jalen Waddle to the mix. I mean, it's incredible. And two is a two is a fine quarterback. He, he's good. I'm not gonna, you know, I, I think he's doing fine. But those two receivers, I think, I credit more so Tyree Kill than McDaniel's. And not to take anything away from McDaniel's, I think he's doing a great job. But I, I, I don't, I wouldn't 
necessarily give him the clown compared to, like I said again, like we said, Dable and uh, and what Pete Carroll are doing with quarterbacks that are probably not top tier and they don't necessarily have the most weapons around them either. Yeah, that's totally fair because uh, he is the closest thing in the NFL to a G-code. And any team, any fan of any team that's played against him, whether it's Miami or Kansas City, has a moment, if not many, where you're screaming and pulling your hair out, how is he that open? Yeah. And it's just because he's just that good. Um, and I do I absolutely agree that what Tyreek Hill brings absolutely changes uh, the availability of Waddle. And now it's, you almost do have a pick-your-poison, at least when it comes to who you're covering. Because you can't shut either one of them down, and you darn sure can't shut both of them down. Yeah, if, if you guys hadn't mentioned Waddle, I was going to very quickly here because uh, I, I, on a personal uh, basis here, he has been very instrumental for my aforementioned best friend and I on our Donovan Mitchell Welcome Wagon fantasy team here this year. He has been just absolutely amazing. So uh, shout out to uh, Waddle as well as Hill. And uh, again, the, uh, the production there in Miami, it has been really incredible and uh as as far as what has been just a very very weird and in many ways unexpected first half of the season uh, i want to bring this thing all the way around here and uh, get some additional thoughts from you guys that we haven't covered thus far on your thoughts of the first half of the season i'll start with you this time jason uh, any anything that's on your mind that we didn't get to yet uh, on what we've seen thus far with all the surprises and everything uh, i mean most of it's going to be on the bottom half um uh green bay is a dumpster fire um (laughs) and i i I don't think we need to take any time at all to explain what's at the crux of that uh minnesota as was mentioned is very impressive with what they're doing uh i honestly thought they would need a a legitimate wide receiver two to be doing what they're doing but they don't so hey roll with it and just because i am talking to you from the front range let me just say that the hype versus reality of the impending Russell Wilson Denver Broncos has been one of the most laughable gaps I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> yeah, you're you're there for it right on the ground. I mean, this is really something here, and uh, you know. Oh, it got quiet real fast. Oh yeah, real fast. Yeah. Well, and <laughs> and 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 you and I might perhaps I can't get into this, but you you and I might want to choose our words 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 wisely vis a vis Russell Wilson for some. Uh, reasons we can't quite get into. So I've been more publicly kind to him than most, but uh, your, your thoughts on, on what we're seeing there? Break it down a little bit. On Denver? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think there, there probably is some truth to the idea that everything had to go through Russell in Seattle, which was probably why they started to trend downward. And then when he came here, you know, everybody was so happy to say, let's ride. But he... <laughs> He's missing wide-open stuff that you don't expect him to miss. He's not seeing receivers that are wide open. He's short-popping the ball. It's just not right. And I'm just – to me, it just feels like he came in thinking it was going to be easy. Um, not to mention, let's not forget that everyone looked at Russell Wilson, Javante Williams, Sutton, and uh, Judy, Judy, and we're like, oh, they're great. They're going to be phenomenal. But they don't realize their left tackle is hot garbage. Their offensive line is, is suspect. Uh, the defensive front seven hasn't performed to the level that they thought it would. As evident, they, they traded away Bradley Chubb. Um, now, the secondary is legit. I think the secondary is real nice. But the point is, 
Denver was never a complete team when he joined, and they never should have had these expectations like they were going to go 14-3 and three or something. So I, a lot of it probably falls on Hackett because everything was so happy-go-lucky honeymoon stage. Uh, and he's definitely making some gambles that he shouldn't. But I, I think everyone's making more of a deal about it than they should. Uh, they need to just take this on the chin, work the offseason, and try to fix stuff. And then next year, if they start out the same way, then maybe they need to scrap this whole idea. But uh, they're stuck with Russell Wilson. I think they signed into an extension that they can't really get out of very easily. So it might just be you got to make your bed and lie in it, um, but it doesn't look good. Well, the Denver Broncos, things being good in the honeymoon stage and not that much thereafter, I wish I didn't have so many friends who could say, yeah, I identify with that personally, but uh, unfortunately, I do have more than a few friends who've lived that particular experience, but uh, as I pivot here to you, uh, Derek, any other thoughts that you have on the landscape here we didn't get to? Well, I think Jason kind of teed me up a little bit. I think the biggest narrative this season that we've missed is the possible final chapter of, and I know you guys are older than me, of, but of these quarterbacks that we've known as the, the guys the last, I don't know, I've probably watched football 15 years or so now. You know, we're seeing Aaron Rodgers not having the best year. Maybe he's on the, on the, the twilight of his career. Brady, same thing. Russell Wilson, I know he's a little younger than those guys, but, you know, same kind of deal there. Matt Ryan in Indianapolis. I think we're seeing the swan song of a lot of these guys that have been, again, the guys at the quarterback position, as far as I can remember. And I think it's I, it's interesting because I don't know necessarily if it's them get you know, uh, the game passing them by. I don't know if it's their own personal talents and bodies going away, but it's it's adding an almost uh, a bittersweetness to, the, to this year's uh, football season that we haven't had because you know we've had Brady seems like he's been the same person until this year, but the last couple of years we've seen we watched you know Ben Swan song, we watched uh, uh, Breeze's Swan song, but we're finally seeing this last crop of guys have their final. I'm not going to say their final swan song, Brady, sounds like he wants to play till he dies. So who knows there, but uh, whether he will be able to is a whole other story. But uh, I think it, it adds, uh, in a, you know, another level of drama to this season. Um, and also, again, goes back to the biggest points we had at the start of the season, that offenses are changing, defenses are changing, and some of these guys that may have just been able to play through it the last 10 or so years or finally uh, might be getting run out of the game. That's a very good point, and I think you could see it a couple of weeks back when uh, on CBS for the Kansas City-Buffalo game that uh, every time it had been Kansas City the last couple of years playing Brady, whether it was in New England or Tampa Bay, it was, oh, Mahomes, Brady, yeah! Like, they were, they were dusting off all the Brady versus uh, Manning stuff they used to do. And then this time around, they were playing it off like, oh, the, the Ollie Frazier of the NFL is Allen versus Mahomes. So they've pivoted. Yes. They're, they're invested in hyping that as, uh, again, time will tell on that. Josh Allen's been pretty great thus far. But, uh, again, he's, he's going to have to really uh, have an excellent second half and well into January and February if he's going to prove that that's any kind of a rivalry whatsoever because thus far they've come up on the short end of the stick. But, uh they might very well be poised to have home field if it comes down to a rematch in the playoffs 
and that would be an incredible AFC championship game if it came to that. We will see. But uh, the one thing I know is uh, on the show here, we will be monitoring as we go along, and uh, I very much enjoy this panel, and uh, this won't be the last time uh, we do uh, this one here. So I'll have to put you guys together uh, subsequently here as we go along. Very much enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Jason Jones, Derek Joseph, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. And thank you, everybody, for checking out FDH Lounge Mini Episode 1544.